Good morning. morning. Is it warm enough in here for you? Well, at least we have some fans going. It's sort of like an airport hangar. But we are going places with this sermon. So uh, we are getting close to the time for high school graduations. And uh, my son Christopher will be graduating, Lord willing, in a few weeks. And when I graduated from high school 35 years ago, I received a generous gift from my parents. I received an Olympus OM camera. Now, if you don't know about this line of cameras, it's regarded to be among the best that Olympus ever made for beginning photographers. Um, Now, I took a lot of pictures with this camera the first five years I owned it. I used it, but I never really learned to use it to its full potential. I wanted to take a photography course and learn more about aperture control, shutter speed, how to work with film, these kinds of things. But I was a full-time student working part-time. I didn't have a lot of spare time. And at least for a penniless student, uh, developing film seemed expensive. Um, Now, I took some good pictures, but I took them with the automatic settings. And had I learned to use the manual settings, I could have taken much better pictures. And this is particularly true when I went to Europe in the early 90s um, for a two-year missionary stint. I was traveling all over Europe, uh, seeing all manner of beautiful places, like the magnificent city of Prague in Czechia, or the magnificent uh, Pirin Mountains in Bulgaria, where Daria is from. And I took some pretty decent pictures, um, but I could have taken much better pictures had I learned to use the camera properly. Um, I didn't realize the full potential of my parents' generous graduation gift. What are the best gifts that you have received? Maybe you got something for Christmas or for your birthday, for graduation, another occasion. Gift giving and receiving can be a funny thing, can't it? We like to think that gifts have no strings attached, right? But if somebody buys you clothes, they expect you to wear them. And I always disliked getting clothes for Christmas when I was a kid because I knew we'd have to do a Christmas catwalk and try the clothes on and make sure that everybody was happy with how they fit and how they looked. You might remember the character Ralphie in the movie A Christmas Story and the pink bunny suit that his aunt made for him. He had to put it on and show it to the family. If somebody buys you a book, they expect you to read it, right? And they'll quiz you until you read it, and when you've read it, they'll quiz you about the contents of the book as well. So if you receive a gift, there are often strings attached. And if you received a great gift, what did you do with this gift? Do you still have the gift? Perhaps you used the gift heavily, and you wore it out, or you outgrew it, and that's okay. It's much better to do that than to not fully use the gift. In most cases, the best gifts contain unrealized potential that must be realized. And we certainly see that in Scripture. Adam and Eve are given the gift of Eden. The people of Israel are given the promised land. And of course, much of Scripture focuses on the failure of God's people to fully live into the gifts that God has given them. 
So the question facing us this morning is this. How are we living into God's gifts? Today is the sixth Sunday of Easter, the 36th day of Eastertide. We are just, as Kevin said, we're just a few weeks away from Pentecost. Ascension Day is only four days away. It's this Thursday. And as Kevin pointed out last week, there's a shift that happens in our Gospel readings for Eastertide this year. In the early weeks of Easter, we focus on the post-resurrection appearances of Christ. But now in these latter weeks, we focus on Jesus' final words to His disciples, the last instructions that He gives to them before His passion and resurrection. And our Gospel for today, which is from John 14, is at the beginning of what people call Jesus' farewell discourse. The farewell discourse. This is on the eve of His crucifixion. And He's taking leave of His disciples. They've been together for over three years. And Jesus' disciple-making program has been intense. It wasn't a series of evening classes on top of day jobs. Nor was it a five-day academic schedule with Monday, Wednesday, Friday courses and Tuesday, Thursday courses. No, it was a 24-7 intensive, experiential, and fully immersive program. These men traveled together. They shared meals together. They did life together. And so Jesus tells them that He's going to leave them. And naturally, this raises concern. God in the flesh is no longer going to be in the flesh with them. The the environment here is emotionally fraught. The disciples are a bit dazed and confused. After all, they've given up everything to follow Christ, haven't they? They're all in. Or to use an Easter metaphor, they put all their eggs in one basket. So in the midst of this difficult moment, Jesus makes an astonishing statement. You can see it on the front of your worship guide there. Take it out if you have it handy. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth. Now the fact that Jesus is asking the Father for a gift is surely a good sign, isn't it? We know that the Father is a good gift giver. The best by a long shot. The Apostle James tells us that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Think about the good gifts that you've received from God. They can be material, intellectual, emotional, spiritual. Think, for instance, of a perfect day on the beach or a perfect day in the mountains. It's a special day with friends or family. A day when the sun is bright and the air is fresh. It isn't too hot. It isn't too cool. Now that day is not a random gift from a cold, indifferent universe. It's a gift from the Father of lights. He's the one who makes the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. There are many good gifts we have received from the Father. Too many to count, really. But here in our Gospel passage Jesus promises something especially marvelous. A truly miraculous gift from the Father. The greatest of all gifts. He promises God's eternal, permanent,
presence in the person of the Holy Spirit. His eternal, permanent presence in the person of the Holy Spirit. Let this sink in. It's astonishing. Is there anything that compares to this gift? The gift of the living God, eternal from the beginning, creator of the universe, dwelling in us and among us. There is no greater gift. And in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is described in many ways and appears in various forms. He appears in the wind and fire and flame. He appears as a dove. But here in John 14, Jesus uses a very peculiar term for the Holy Spirit. The Greek term is parakletos. And oceans of ink have been poured out by theologians talking about this particular term. Uh, some people just transliterate it and say paraclete. Um, it's impossible really to find an exact English word that captures the Greek. The literal meaning of the word is one who is called alongside. It's a word that was used in the legal world, primarily referring to a defending counsel, somebody like a defense attorney, someone who would plead your case before a magistrate. So English translations include words like advocate, advisor, intercessor, uh, uh, consoler, comforter, and assistant. And we see in the English Standard Version, the term is translated as helper. Helper. This isn't a perfect translation, but it does capture an important function of the Holy Spirit. And here's how. We see elsewhere in the farewell discourse that Jesus tells his disciples something else that is amazing. He tells them in verse 12, uh, verse 12 of chapter 14 that they will do greater works than he has done. He says they will do greater works than he has done. But there's a little problem with this, isn't there? They can't do this on their own, can they? They need help. We see this in the vine and the branches discourse, which comes right after this in chapter 14. And here Jesus is very blunt. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> no doubt about it. It's very clear. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So enter the Holy Spirit, the Helper. And the New Testament is abundantly clear that the church's life and mission flows out of its relationship to Christ through the Spirit. Without the Spirit, without the Helper, there is no church. Without the wind of the Spirit, the church is a sail ship dead in the water. There is an important reference to God's help at the beginning uh, song that we sang this morning, Come Thou Fount. Uh, in the second stanza, if you have your worship guide, you can turn to that as well. In the second stanza, we see the following words. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I've come. Ebenezer, it's not a word that we throw around very much. If we think of it, we might think of Ebenezer Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. Uh, some hymnals actually nix the word, remove the word Ebenezer, because it's so obscure. But of course we know that this comes from a passage in 1 Samuel. It's after a miraculous victory against the Philistines. 
And Samuel sets up a memorial stone in memory of God's victory, and he calls it Ebenezer, which literally means in Hebrew, stone of help. And then Samuel says, till now the Lord has helped us. So this Ebenezer, this stone of help, is a foreshadowing of God's permanent help in the person of the Holy Spirit, the Helper. So we see that the Holy Spirit is the Helper, but how specifically does He help? There's a lot we can say in response to this question. Let me focus on several things from our passage for, for this morning. First of all, we see that the Holy Spirit mediates the presence of Christ. He mediates the presence of Christ. When Jesus returns to the Father, the disciples are told they will not be abandoned as orphans. The promised helper will be with them forever, Jesus promises. He will dwell with them, and he will be with them. And this is connected to the idea that comes a bit later in the passage, that the Father and the Son, and this is something else remarkable, will make their home with those who love and obey. The Father and the Son will make their home, will make their abode, their dwelling place with those who love and obey. How do they do this? Well, from the context, they do this through the Holy Spirit, through the third person of the triune God. The Spirit, the Helper, guarantees the disciples continuing presence and access to God. He's like a broker, someone who mediates access of benefits from a patron, from God the Father. We also see that the Holy Spirit will guide the disciples into the truth. Verse 26, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. In chapter 16, a bit later, when Jesus again uses this term helper, He says that the Spirit of truth will guide them into the truth. The upshot here is that the Holy Spirit is the way that the revelation of God in Christ continues after Jesus' departure. The Spirit continues to make revelation accessible. He guides and teaches the church. He replicates the ministry of Christ. So what appeared to be bad news for the disciples, Jesus' departure is actually the best of news. While Jesus walks on the earth as the incarnate Son of God, His ministry is limited to one place and one person for the most part. But when Jesus departs to be with the Father, the disciples are given the Spirit and they graduate from apprentices to apostles. And this new reality enables them to bear witness in Jerusalem, to all Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Notice the centrifugal force there, starting from the center and moving out. That is the mission of God and the Spirit. So in his farewell discourse, Jesus assures the welfare of his disciples. And as Jesus tells them, they need not be troubled, they need not be afraid. Now this promise that Jesus makes to his disciples some 2,000 years ago applies to all believers for all time. When we repent and we turn to Christ, we receive new birth through the Holy Spirit. And according to the New Testament, the Holy Spirit indwells all believers. In fact, we're told that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we're not just the temple of the Holy Spirit as the body of Christ. We're also uh, temples of the Holy Spirit in our individual bodies. 
And so we must take care how we live, what we do with our bodies. And so we also require the help, the helper, just as much as the original disciples did. Perhaps even more in some ways. Why? Because we live in a culture of independence. We've made an idol of personal liberty. We don't need the help of others, right? We have a rich culture of self-help, right? We're good at helping ourselves. Too good, it seems. But as we've seen, this particular approach to life goes against the grain of Christian faith. Remember again what Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. That doesn't sound like very good self-help advice, but it's the best of self-help advice. So if you are a Christian, you have received the greatest possible gift, God's Holy Spirit, the Helper. But how have you received this gift? And have you realized the fullness of this gift? When we receive a gift, we tend to think of our role as passive, right? There's a giver, there's a recipient. But often, as I said before, the best gifts are the ones that help us to reach our potential. They require something of us. They require uh, action, a response. They encourage us to tap into gifts that we already possess, to hone skills, and so on. The miraculous gift that Jesus promises in John 14 is not intended to be received passively. Quite the opposite, in fact. It is to be received actively. It is to activate us for God's work, for God's mission in the world. And we are not to operate on auto settings like I did with my first camera many years ago. Instead, we are to learn how to use the manual settings. We are to take full ownership of this gift, this divine presence and enablement. And this gift is dynamic and powerful. At the end of Luke, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as power from on high. Power. But remember, the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. Some Christians mistakenly refer to the Holy Spirit as it. He is, is the third person of the Trinity, the three-in-one God. He can be grieved, can't he? So we see that at its core, this gift is relational. It's about relating to God. As the Father and the Son make their home in us, they make their abode through the Holy Spirit, we participate in the divine family. God brings us into the fellowship that he has enjoyed in triunity before time began. And this relationship then has an outpouring into the church because God has made his home with us. We are family. And in the world, blood might be thicker than water, but in Christ, the waters of baptism are thicker than blood, aren't they? With the gift of the Spirit, we are called to joyfully participate in Christ's ongoing life and work. We are to be active recipients. This gift entails collaboration, teamwork. As Paul puts it, we are to walk in the Spirit. So how has the Spirit nurtured, guided, and helped you? Are you open to His indwelling presence and power? Now, some Christians in our day and age emphasize the Holy Spirit very heavily, almost as if he is the primary person of the Trinity. And though he is important, and though he is co-equal with the Father and the Son, 
it's a mistake to overemphasize his role. And in our passage, we see that the Spirit is given by the Father. He comes when the Son asks the Father for him to come. He mediates the presence of Christ. And that's why Paul in Romans 8 calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. That said, it's also a mistake to ignore the Holy Spirit. Paul tells the Galatian Christians that they must exhibit the fruit of the Holy Spirit. They must show the signs of the Spirit working in their lives. They must bear the fruit of the Spirit. And what is the first of those fruits? Some people talk about it as one fruit. What is the first fruit, first part of the fruit? Love, right? Love. Joy, peace, patience, and so on. Paul describes uh, elsewhere love as the greatest virtue, a virtue which binds all the others together. And we see it in the farewell discourse as well. Jesus tells his disciples to do what? To love one another. But they need his help to do this. They need the helper. They need the constant abiding presence of Christ. They need the indwelling Holy Spirit. So let's be active recipients of the gift of the helper. If you are a believer, you've already received this gift. Actively receive the help of the helper and live into the gift. If you are not a believer, this gift is available to you. Believe and receive God's grace in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So let me conclude by praying once again the collect for today. And when you hear the phrases good things and promises, think especially of the gift of the Holy Spirit, the helper. O oh God, you have prepared for those who love you such good things as surpass our understanding. Pour into our hearts such love towards you that we, loving you in all things and above all things, may obtain your promises, which exceed all that we can desire. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.